Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Welcome to the B&D Podcast, and we have a guest today, Evan. Yes, we do, and it's been uh, it's been a while since we've had a guest. It's been a while. We've been just yapping at each other, and <laughs> just the two of us for far too long, I think. Yeah, we covered a lot of a lot of stuff, but now it's it's yeah. time to invite some people on yes. board. Yes. And today we got Steve Moody. Howdy, honored. So we are going to have a powwow as we're all three screenwriters. And we're going to talk about what movie not to make. <laughs> really, we're going to get into like all the things that go wrong when writing a script and all the things when you see a movie, why it's boring or you know, yeah. why it's like melodramatic or whatever. We're going to make fun, poke fun, but we're going to try not to insult anybody at the yeah, same time. That's I mean, not the goal. As part of what I understood when we first were talking about doing a podcast together and, and doing a, <laughs> an installment, it was like, why don't we just like all just like really just get into like the shit that we can't stand <laughs> when it happens. Right. Is the Mickey but, Rooney style of doing things. What's that? Mickey, is it Mickey Rooney or Andy Rooney? Uh, 60 oh. minutes or did I just date myself? No, no, no. Oh, um, back, real back. I want to say that was, <laughs> that was Mickey Rooney, I think, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, it was, it was one of the Rooneys. Yeah. I don't know. But all they did at the end was complain about, you ever notice? Yeah. 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 In his, wow. in his like very like old school type of way at the end of it. And you just be like, you know what really guts me? <laughs> <laughs> I remember being eight and being entranced by that. Why am I eight and watching the end of sixty minutes? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, there was something the almost there was something almost lighthearted about watching this old man just go off on something that was kind of like not nearly as serious as what they had just been covering yeah, on right. the last fifty nine <laughs> minutes true. of the show. <laughs> After the Honduran massacres, yeah. aspirin bottles. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we'll. <laughs> We'll complain gracefully, yes. and uh, hopefully we'll, the whole idea is to come up with some type of value at the end, but let me, let me give a little backstory about how this podcast actually even came to be, because we went to, uh, we went to a um, premiere for a production company, a public company, and they were showing off all their new films, and all of us writers somehow managed to get stuffed in the back corner <laughs> in a booth. So we blabbed by about... design. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, was that? Did we get stuffed, or is that just kind of where we all yeah. ended up going? Is that where writers end up? I don't know. But anyway, we all blabbed about uh, all these movies, and you know, what's our least favorite movie we've ever seen, and why? And it was kind of fun. So we were like, hey, well, this would be a good podcast. So that's how yeah. this originated about you know a week or so ago. In the, in the basement of a nightclub. <laughs> yeah. So who, well, I mean, the nightclub was a basement. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was nice. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. But it was a basement. Those, <laughs> they had a lot of headroom. It didn't feel like a basement. Hmm. No. I'll give them that. Yeah. yeah. No windows or anything. Yeah. Very private. Yeah. Swanky. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of mirrors. Were there mirrors? Yeah. I didn't really notice. Yeah. That's yeah. why it felt bigger. Oh. Uh, yeah. It was really the size of this room, I think, actually. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's funny. <laughs> um, so where, so 
Who, who wants to get this bitch fest started? Yeah. Well, I think okay, I think there's some basics we should get out of the way for movies you don't want to make. Because you want to take any student film that you that you wanted to make when you were a student, you get rid of that, because those are all terrible. Yeah. All terrible. Pretty much all student films are terrible. They really there's are. There's, like, the rare exception when one kind of breaks through. And everyone understands that we have been students who have made films. We're calling yeah. our own films terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like student films, like, they're, they're these, um... They're kind of like these high concept and like often like have like an admirable kind of like creativity or a concept behind it but it's just like then it comes to the execution of the whole thing (laughs) and you're just like what was this? And then, and then also you go, it's like, but was this, how well thought out was this concept even? It's You're like, on the right track. They usually contain such unfiltered raw ideas that are, they're just like they're unrefined. There's one that I always pitched it before I came to film school here in, in Vancouver. I was talking in Australia to people when I was doing some school st- schooling there. And I had this pitch that I drilled for so long and I think of it now and I'm like, why? Oh God. It was about scientists in the far future who are trying to devise this number that had no number that was the key to the universe and if they could like devise what it was it would end the universe but some of them believed it and some of them didn't and it was this whole mathematical it was awful it was like (laughs) (laughs) no it was terrible you go you think of the idea you're like wow that could be like no that sound we all saw pi yeah it's good once and then yeah in your head you're like no, it's going to be like this dystopian, like, Kubrick-esque, yeah. like, masterpiece. <laughs> and then you're like, no, they're, they're talking math, and you don't even really like math. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of, speaking of math, so we're starting at the most basic equation, the student mm. film, you know, and where do they go wrong? I remember there was this one film that was made uh, through Vancouver Film School, and it was supposed to be this murder mystery. And I, I don't really remember the name of the film or who did it or whatever, so it doesn't matter. But what was really funny is that the filmmaker didn't really recognize the fact that a murder mystery actually requires there to be multiple people for it to possibly be the murderer. But it was really like one or two people, I think. So it was like, like 30 <laughs> well, seconds. Well, either that 30, guy or her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like 30 <laughs> seconds into the movie, you like got enough data that you were like, oh, well, it's probably not this person. So the whole time you knew it was this person and then it was that person and you were like, Okay. This is, like, the most boring movie ever. <laughs> so, like, the whole idea of, like, you know, keeping mystery was just totally botched with that, right? I, so, all right, go yeah, ahead. No, uh, what I was going to say is I think you hit on something there, too, in that, which invoked in me is it all the murder mystery. Was it a noir? Was it black and white? Was it, like, of that? Was it... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. People want to make an image, especially when you're younger, and even now, like, half the stuff that I come up with, there's an image first, and you're like, that's the coolest movie ever, whether it's the poster or just, like, like that's right before the credits roll. That's amazing. Most of the time, I've learned to, like, no, we need more for the image. We yeah. need to, it's good to paint to build his characters, but I remember even in the beginning, I had images, and I'm like, no, this is a great movie, and you're like, it's really just an image. When they teach you that something material needs a beginning, middle, and an end, you're like, that's stupid. Of course it needs. How hard is that? But it's the hardest thing to actually grasp, I really find. Person. No, that's a really good point. I, I think a lot of times um, young filmmakers start off with just an image or an idea, and usually that image or idea is also quite commonly a, a copy of something else. Yeah. You know, I think that's where um, a lot of young filmmakers struggle is that they get they kind of get inspired from something that they liked, but then they kind of, and they're not copying it because it's not exactly the same, but they're not really adding anything new to it. So it just becomes kind of a copy. Well, I mean, I think it becomes one of those traps. I mean, like actors kind of fall into this as well, just to draw another comparison to this, where it's like, you know, 
a screenwriter or a director, they'll have an image in their mind. And, and I think that that's a great thing. Like I, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Indiana Jones, that whole trilogy was launched off of a single image of a man on a horse riding next to like a Nazi wagon. Yeah. Um, and we all saw what happened. Um, but I think that where the problem comes in is that everything becomes hung up on that one image and then everything just sort of becomes a lead up to that. So it's like, it's, everything is hinging on just this one moment, just like how actors would go, oh, and then I'm going to have this moment where I cry or I get angry. (laughs) And so it's, everything just feels like it's kind of coasting until it gets to this moment where suddenly it just gets wildly out of control and doesn't make any sense anymore in context because the rest of it was kind of crappy and lackadaisical. And now there's this big moment that just is coming out of nowhere. Right. I'm trying to think of an example. Nothing's coming to me just yet, but I... Well, yeah, yeah keep thinking of it. Because, um, you know, another thing is, is, like, sometimes I think a movie can get made, even on the big scale of things, where it was focused around, like, one fight scene or some chase scene or something. And then they're like, let's build a story around this one thing that works. You know, and it's like... Then you're, like, you're like, well, that doesn't really work because, no. like, now you're forcing a story to try and fit this one thing that you like. As opposed to, like finding a story and then having this one really cool thing happen in it yeah yeah there is an example for that that just came to my mind here it's and again we're not gonna i'm not here to spend our time trashing on things yeah. but it's worth what citing it? things if it, it was a tv show that amc did it was called into the badlands yeah everybody see this one no i never I didn't saw it. Know. it was like you never even heard of it well there's a reason it was a post apocalyptic they had i think yen wo ping the choreographer from The Matrix and going back all for, all for that. So every episode was centered around some amazing fight sequence and some dystopian future where there aren't guns, but it's the future, and so everyone right. has swords. And the fights, yes, were entertaining enough, but whatever story they hung around it... Now, hey, at sidebar, it was meant to be um, something at like Voyage East or something. There's a story that, that this name I can't remember right now that it's actually based off. It's a Asian folklore. But beyond that, the story wasn't that interesting. The characters didn't really engage you because you knew you were just waiting for the fight every episode. Right, right. And no one watched it. Well, yeah, there's a good example. That's, yeah. that's great, yeah. Because it, fight scenes are great, but when that's your thing, like the example to show how you do it well is Daredevil. Yeah. You, don't, you know there's going to be a great fight scene in just about every episode. They're different, they're unique, they're not the same. And yet you're into it and you don't, they don't hang every episode around this fact, but he's yeah. you know, he's going to fight. Right. The other thing I want to get into this is like, you know, we're talking about a lot of young, I mean that these mm-hmm. are, I'm sure very f- experienced filmmakers, but you know, it's easy. Like, it, I don't know. I don't get much out of like harping on, you know, mm-hmm. like young student, like no. <laughs> yeah. student filmmakers. But I mean, this, I think this is all still good things to, to be aware of. But, um, you know, the other thing that this, what we're talking about makes me think of is how, um, we often, we place judgments on certain things as being better in terms of like a film and in Mm. terms of a story. It's just like, oh, well, this is what's going to be the great thing, right? This is, and I think that you're doing yourself a disservice. I think you need to find the great thing in in all of it. I think you need to be open to being surprised by something that you thought was like maybe the most mundane part of your story. Maybe suddenly being like, wow, this might be one of the best parts of it. I think that's always one of the things that I get excited about when I'm writing and, and you just suddenly, this thing happens and you're, you're staring at like this thing up on the screen and you, and you go, holy shit, that's like, I don't know because I never know necessarily, but in the moment I'm like, this might be really good. (laughs) 
I can think of that specifically, and I can ask either of you, how often, I'm sure I know the answer to this, how many times have you offhand written a secondary character who is far better than anyone you spent days conceiving for yeah. the story? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, when I come out of my work playing times, I'm like, that, I wish I had that person for my story. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're way more interesting than the protagonist. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes I think you take more risks with it because you're like, oh, yeah, like they're, they're just like a supporting role, so you kind of go nuts for it, and, and we, we can sort of just really... I don't know, white bread our, our lead characters a little bit, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I think usually, I mean, usually for me, I have to work really, really hard to make the protagonist interesting. They're usually really, like, <clears throat> more, well, more often than not, they're really boring, and, and they need some pumping up, whereas the other characters and some of the characters that I discover along the way end up becoming, you know, they become a lot more interesting for sure. And I think that's the thing, though, is I think that that's part of the problem with um, with a lot of these ideas is that I think we tend to be, on average, I think most people tend to be pretty safe on their first initial ideas. You know, I'd say it's your, your, it's your ideas when you're pushing it. And that's why editing is so valuable because that's when you start to take real risks. And people who don't like editing, I think they never get to experience that. You know, they never get to experience, but uh, like, why don't I, what if I totally changed it and like put this whole movie in the future or something? You know what I mean? Like, because that's what you start doing when you're editing. Because you get bored of your own work. And that's a good thing, I think. You know, because even if other people aren't bored of it, the fact that you're bored of it makes you, well, at least for me, it makes me think of, like, what could I do to actually enhance this and, like, you know, make it more interesting and, and more unique, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, a lot of movies that maybe, like, don't work so well, they're, they're very, like, half-baked. They're not really well thought out. They were, like kind of that initial idea was taken or something. It had like a couple of, a couple of good ideas, but, and then, yeah, the rest of it was not fleshed out. The rest of it did not have the same sort of care and attention to it. And then the weird, uh, sort, well, I guess it's not all that weird, but then the problem is that then all of a sudden those couple of good ideas that were in there have less impact yeah. Because the rest of it is just like, you're like, oh, I, I don't know, like the rest of this is kind of garbage. So, <laughs> yeah, it had yeah. a couple of good scenes here. That was kind of cool. So, S yeah, oh, go ahead. Screenwriting shouldn't be easy, right? Like, by my own definition of having done it for this long, screenwriting shouldn't be easy. We'd like it to be. That would be awesome. Yeah. But it's not. I don't think it should be. So, any time that you put out a script that was easy, that you're like, oh, that was simple. I did this, uh, it was like six weeks, and I was like, oh, this is great. It works, yeah put together and these things I don't know if these things ever go to production not in my world so far but <laughs> I'm sure these sorts of things happen further up the line when you yeah. get above that level these things happen so you put together and you wind up with stories that aren't interesting because anything that anything that's gotten made anything that I have had made anything that you've had made has been through one the process of being made three times filmed produced edited but more than that you've had to fight through a lot of things. You've had to fight to make a page counter. You've had to fight with producers or with the director or anybody. You've had to work. You've had to chill it to pieces. You've had to hack it up. You've had to find something in there that that the people who need to make the decisions can agree on. And yeah. then that gets... That's When you have those challenges, those challenges come out in the story. Those challenges come out because the audience can feel it. They can tell when, like, oh, this has an interesting step. This has been made. There's been decisions that have been made as opposed to things being a lovely... I love Woody Allen, but everything is sort of a bland... Within ten minutes of any Woody Allen movie, you know who the characters are, you know who's going to be cheating on who, and then you're just going to wait. <laughs> but tell me you don't know, right? 
Yeah, maybe well, sometimes. Yeah, I, mean, but... I find Woody Allen to be like most of his stuff's like okay, and then there's a few like just gems in the mix. There's always gems when he hits upon what he does well. Yeah, and he does get yeah, bang, it's great. But what I mean is, you can watch it even um, the one in Paris, Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris. It be was careful. Lo- it was Tread lovely. Carefully. I really love that movie. I liked it too. Don't get me wrong, but within ten minutes of seeing the two couples and having seen Woody Allen's back catalog, I'm like, oh, okay, so she's gonna he's gonna cheat with her, and she's gonna run it with him. 80 minutes, and yeah, sure enough, that's where the story's taken us. And I'm not knocking Woody Allen, because it's just that knowing the structure. What I'm saying is, this is a situation where you can see that, as a screenwriter, yeah. he's not being challenged. He's being challenged by himself in his own way to tell these stories, and that's of its nature, but the kind of production, the kind of place we're talking about, if we're not auteur filmmakers, yeah. we're not seeing we're not seeing pushback on his ideas. Now, he doesn't operate that way, and so using him as an example is probably terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, in that case, because I actually do like, do, do, do like the work, but the point that I make is still true. He makes his movies that wind up being his movies and tend to not end up being innovative and engaging beyond it being a Woody Allen movie. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think with Woody yeah. Allen with Woody Allen too, it's like there are people who love Woody Allen and really anything he comes out with, they're gonna love it. It's like almost like you know, it's like he they've been won over by him, period. And so it's just that's where it's at, right? Yeah. And so I think like um same thing with yeah. other people like like someone like Quentin Tarantino, people yeah. who have a very sort of strong identity within the types of films that they make. Identity yeah. for their fans. Kevin Smith is the same. Yeah. Yeah. He's tried to break that mold in the last few years, I think, but he's very much the same. He's very much who, stepped away from a lot of film. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, so I think, like, there's, there's films that kind of will get made because certain people have built um, their brand in of themselves. So they'll you know, they'll continue to make a certain style of film and it'll get made and, and because people want that brand of film, you know, yeah. that alone is kind of interesting. But, um, well, let's get into like where things really go wrong with like these big budget films. <laughs> Cause like, you know what? I, I don't want to slam anybody, but I'm just going to say that my least favorite movie ever made was Clash of the Titans, the new one. Like, they I, made a sequel to that one, too. I, Wrath of the Titans? <laughs> yeah, Wrath of yeah. the Titans, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, that movie just was painful. It was just absolutely just painful for me to watch. And, like, there was things in that movie, like, I get, you know, that, everyone, that certain people like to go to those movies because they like the action sequences and whatever. But, you know, I'm not the biggest action buff, so, you know, in, in that defense. But the thing is, is, like, there's elements of the story that, like, just didn't make sense. Like, for example, there's this big stone person at the end who falls apart, and the princess falls in the water, in the ocean, and so do the, all these stones, and she's sinking faster than the stones are sinking. And, like, just things like that were happening in the story, you know, just to give you an idea. And that's, like, one of a thousand that I caught, you know? And so this movie was just, like, dreadfully painful for me. It's like, like you know, you know like, you extend your your disbelief to a certain point and then there's a certain point where you just kind of get pissed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that movie like hit, it crossed the line for me. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think we can all recount probably a tale or two of, of that. Of yeah. just like when, when something is so poorly crafted that you get angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I haven't seen it myself. I'm sure anyone who saw suicide squad over the summer will tell you that to themselves. They'll be angry. Um, here's the thing I don't secretly we're all writers here yeah I don't, I don't know how to talk about this because I'm like oh that's producers problems that's directors fucking out it's not the writers yeah the writers put out gold man it's not <laughs> writers not writing and she's sinking faster than the rocks yeah because well, yeah. why 
No, you're but right. Yes. I mean, that's that's a good point. But I mean, but this is no writer will ever no writer will ever throw another writer under there, the bus. We all stick together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some, sometimes like bad like like when there's bad writing, it can be. I think that in some way, sometimes you have to have some experience with writing to be able to catch bad writing. Yeah. Um, to know when that is what the problem with the story is. Um, because, and because I think oftentimes bad, like, and I, I think I used to do this. I used to say, it's like, man, this acting is terrible. And then somewhere along the way, like a certain point after having written enough myself, I just went, man, these actors are doing the best they can. Like, listen to that line that was just said. Like, what did they, like, who said something like that? Or, you know, you're just like, there's, there's this, but it's, it's all kind of because it's like under the surface of it that like when you see the final product of it, you, it becomes a little bit harder to gauge what, what's wrong. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Bad writing. Yeah. It's, I agree with the evidence, especially when it can masquerade as bad acting. I agree. Also, a lot of, I don't mean to malign a genre, but a lot of thrillers, anything that needs to get you is full of some terrible bullcrap writing. Oh, yeah? Because you need to come back, you need to be, that's not what it was at all! Right. Like, or even, um, I was so excited when Duplicity um, came out a few years ago. Did anybody see that? It was from, I can't remember the name, same guy who wrote Syriana. Wrote and directed. Oh, guys. no, I didn't see that I one. I didn't see it, no. Anyway, um, I remember hearing about it. Julie Roberts and what's his name? Clive Owen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was excited because of the writer and the director behind it. I'm like, oh, this will be, this is going to be intense. It's going to be like deep. It's going to be crazy. And it just winds up being a double, triple, quadruple cross of over nothing. That's no, like this, you can't, I, at the end of it, I'm like, who's against who now? The same way you come out of American Hustle and you're like, what was the, <laughs> who's trying to do what? I don't remember. And that's where yeah. you talk to me about bad writing because everything is muddled to a point where the story's not obvious. Right. Right. It's the director can do a lot. Producers can do a lot. Editors can do a lot. But in the end, when the store, when you come out the end going, who was, wait, why did we succeed? Why are we happy? Bradley Cooper is still around at the end. Yeah. It's, that's where I feel you have the bad writing because when you lose the audience, fill me in. Well, you know, I think, um, I think one of the big things to always take away is simplicity is powerful. And, Mm. uh, you know, I think when things get too complicated, you, you really undermine the message. You undermine everything you're trying to do. And I think, you know, movies get made sometimes where, you know, people don't really, like, it's so complex that people all aren't on the same page and the complexity isn't like justified or backed up enough. And so then, you know, you kind of get lost and there's a disconnect. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think I remember, I can't remember who, who had written this article, but it was, it's a really fantastic screenwriter and he was giving some like advice on, on the work. And, and yeah, one of the big things he said was like, when you start your script, start with a simple story. Like, mm. because if you go in trying to write a complex story, it's going to come, it's going to just like fall apart in your hands. Like it's just, yeah. there's no way you can do it. Start with something simple and then in there, then like you'll go back and you'll start to discover all of these complexities within it. But when you go into it, trying to do that saying like, Oh man, I'm going to write like the most like, like twisted, like edge of your seat, unpredictable, like thriller and blah. And next thing you know, you've just, yeah, you've, you've done like eight double crosses too many. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and nobody knows what the hell's going on anymore. Right. And nobody cares. Yeah. Well, that's the most important thing is you want to keep people to care. And I think, uh, when I say simple, it's, it really is simple. It's, it's many, many, many small things built on top of each other. And eventually when you add them all up, it looks complex, but everything is really simple. Ultimately, like if you look at star Wars or for example, it's like him and his father, you know, it's just like a very simple plot line. Right. And then like, like him looking for his parents or whatever, right? Like whatever the thing is, is a very simple idea, but then you add many other elements to it. All of a sudden it becomes very robust. Yeah. The star Wars example, I'm sure in our age category, we all run to that, which is yeah. good. But I mean, even I was thinking that myself and expanding on what you said there, it's true. It's the beginning of your story in a new hope is good guys are running from the bad guys. The very beginning, that's a story. It's that simple. You see, you build on it with the droids, the whole thing. Even in the first ten minutes, you're building on it. But the simple story is they're running. In episode one, they're Jedi going to negotiate trade deals over a blockade. <laughs> like, then this is the first five minutes that you yeah. needed to know this. Yeah. And already you're like, they're okay. Trade disputes. Already I'm excited because Star Wars was always about trade tariffs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's and. That's a wonder. I'm so glad you brought that up because you know when they when they did the next three, like I didn't like those at all. I really loved the first original three, and then the newest one they came out with. But those middle three, I'm just like, oh man, like painful. I like. I, I'm just going to caveat. Sorry, and interrupt and say real quickly. I did like Revenge of the Sith, the third one they made, the third of the new. I enjoyed it more than the others. Yeah. First yes. twenty minutes. I think it was better than the other. It was came yeah, closest, yeah. but anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. But no, I think you bring up a good, a good point. It started too complicated and you know that I remember uh, I read this in a book somewhere but I, I've always agreed with it it was like Books. um if you're gonna if you're gonna write a story people care about things like love and family and like very it's very simple things you know and you want to look yeah. for those things right like the stuff about like trade tariffs nobody nobody can personalize that and that's mm. the problem you know so it's yeah. very like not that that can't be part of something that no. becomes, but you need to, yeah, there needs to be a personal connection to it first. Like why is, how is somebody supposed to necessarily relate to tariffs? Yeah. You know, maybe there's somebody out there who's just like, oh God, trade tariffs. They make me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for like the, for most of us, like. These are all the same people who would have gone and seen Atlas Shrugged part one and two when it came out so <laughs> atlas atlas shrugged is that they the one movie the, they yeah made a movie about the book yeah oh i didn't yeah. know that yeah they did yeah. i didn't see it but i know it's out there <laughs> but we're all to... exercising our free market right to not <laughs> <Yeah>. see it <laughs> but to um sorry 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 yeah no no, no, no. it's fine um but to, yeah like i i'm just like because i i just want to try and like branch this out because i always love to try and apply this type of stuff to other at least forms that of like you know, creative, creative disciplines that to, because usually that can be a good indication that you're, that we're onto something. Yeah. And as far as simplicity goes, I mean, I mean, I, I know that through, through acting as well, that it's like the simpler you go in to your scene with like the, when you, when you want to do all of these things, you know, when you want to show all of this work that you've put into it and all this thought that you put into it, like, it's just like, nothing ends real ends up happening. Yeah. And I remember having a teacher saying just like, like, just let it all go. Like, like come in with something simple. And then all of these beautiful, all of those wonderful things that you wanted to try and force to happen will just happen. Mm. Like they, but you have to just do 
that one simple thing. Yeah. And I think of, you know, stuff like, um, you know, in music as well, like, uh, one of the great bands of all time is Pink Floyd. And I am amongst my own. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like you, so much of their music, like there was, and there was some brilliant people in, in that band, but so much of their stuff started with something very simple. The, the beginning of, of dark side of the moon begins with a song that has two chords all the way through it. It's just two chords, E minor and A, if you're, (laughs) if you're a musician and that's, but then it just gets layered and layered and they just keep like, they just drop all these simple little things on top of it until it's suddenly like this incredible ambient atmospheric, like masterpiece of, I should have to to turn in my Pink Floyd card because I can't name what track that is. Oh, it's, um, it's it's breathe. It is breathe. It is. It is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. No. Um, well, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct here and you're brushing up against, but busting up against something that I feel pressure as a screenwriter to do myself. And that's like, I don't know if it's so much, it, it is more of a contemporary thing than it was say from the seventies or what have you, but opening with a bang is important. Getting mm-hmm. people's attention in the very beginning, like one of my, one of my most favorite openings of any move of any movie ever is the opening of Mission Impossible 3, the one J.J. Abrams did. I don't oh, expect, yeah. do you remember? Yeah, I really enjoyed that opening too. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, I have seen it. Tom what? Cruise is uh, in the chair and they get, uh, they get the bag whipped off Tom Cruise's head. This is and, the first uh, thing. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is like torturing him basically. Oh, telling okay. him that, yeah. So, yeah, I have to. I'm sorry, I have yeah, to. You t- you yeah, you tell. The bag gets whipped off Tom Cruise's head. He's there all sweating. And the first line of dialogue in, in Philip Seymour Hoffman's an explosive device has been implanted in your head. When that's your start, I'm like, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm on board. Whatever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if that's where you're... I don't, so it's, simple. I get that it. Is, yeah. It's simple. I have simple. a bomb in my head. Yeah. Now what do I do? <laughs> <It's> simple, <laughs> but it hits you with, you're like, okay, whatever it is. Like Now yeah. you're paying attention and you're he into didn't, it. He didn't go, the tax... Terrifying. The tax. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're like. I what don't is know, the I... GDP of Ukraine? Yeah. <laughs> Be mindful. <laughs> it's like young Obi Wan. Yeah. <laughs> Be mindful. We raise the tax percentage by three percent. This will affect you drastically. <laughs> now, what we're saying with all that is that yeah, you should always, and I do believe, starting with a bang is important. You want to grab people's attention, yeah. or something small or large. But I think that gets taken too far in too many places. Like it's um. And have you seen Constantine, the movie, the one with Keanu Reeves? Um, oh, I think I, know I saw the movie. that I years ago. I, I, I feel they I have, saw it, but I don't really recall much. It has this desire to open with a bang of this yeah. like amazing exorcism of trapping a demon in a mirror. Yeah. But it requires you to understand so many rules of the universe mm. that don't come about until later that it's sort of like watching a video game and it's kind of a big mess. And it is cool at the end when you're like, yeah, I guess that was great. But you're like, what did I... I guess I have to watch the movie now to really understand what just right. happened here. Right. And when you come out confused versus excited, yeah. that's, yeah. No, that's a great example. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're hitting on here, I think, is like how simplicity plays into this whole thing. Because um, Mission Impossible 3, it really was a very simple beginning, and it launched you and set you up for the entire story. You know, you have a bomb in your head, and, uh, you know, and I think uh, the girl gets tied into it, too, so you, you bring yeah. in the care, right? They and, cut back and forth in yeah. time and space, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then the whole story just really works, and, I mean, it was a really smart way to set up the story. And, uh, yeah, I think, like, um, that Star Wars 
one, which was the the newer version that was, you know, what, like, <laughs> episode one. You the more you try and explain yeah. even that, that way, is complicated it's just too much. Like you don't like you, you just say never, episode like, one. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like and it's, and, just, and uh, it's funny because people who don't watch Star Wars are like, so is that the one that was made like in nineteen seventy? You're like, oh my god. You're like, no. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so it's too complicated, and that's and that's a big reason why I think a lot of people, you know, aren't engaging with it. Although we had a whole podcast on the new one, and I think why so many people could engage with that, and if you think about it, it was very simple as well. The whole start of it, and the way they set it up, you get the story. You didn't even really have to watch any of the Star Wars before, and you could join this whole new series, and you could be like hold on, there's six more of these that I can watch if I just want to, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, that's a really, that's a great point on that. Yeah. So. You, we can go on forever. Yeah. About what that, you know what, let's actually not, let's mm. make this podcast different because yeah. that'll hijack everything. Yeah. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to be Star Wars no. focused, but you know, um, I think I'll, if we can leave it at this, there's a reason why Star Wars franchises made so much money. And I would say, I would argue that the point we're talking about is the simplicity that it that it implements into the story, so it's very easy to get involved with it. Yeah, you always know what's going on yeah. in that story while it alludes to like bigger things going on. Yeah. Right? And then we have the fortune of there's going to be more movies that are going to flesh that out later. I think it's the it, and that goes into like picking your battles to a degree. Yeah, you know, within each story that you're going to tell, and I mean, I see that's a, maybe now we're going into a different, <laughs> a different thing here. You know what really grinds my gears? Um, <laughs> but have, yeah, it's like a platform. Use when it. Yeah. when you try to like when stories either in film or in television, and I I would say that I point the finger more at television for doing this. They try to bite off way too much right like right away like mm. they're they're they try to cover too much ground mm. when there was like there was um i will not name the show <laughs> but it came out a few years ago and by oh, a few I I mean, you know which one i'm talking about it was coming out to big hype they were marking they were pushing this thing like man like this is going to be like big budget like this is going to be like the movies delivered through your television set in like a blockbusters like TV series with big names behind it, You're enjoying <laughs> like, the crypticness, Go on. <laughs> the whole the whole thing, and it was and it was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. It was awful. It got canned after the first season, um, and I watched because I I was like, okay, it looks interesting. Like I I yeah I like some of the names who were involved with this. I'll check it out. And the first episode, the first hour of that show. They covered enough ground that would have, like, if they got into all of these, all of the events that unfolded within this one hour and you took, like, you could take what they covered in, like, three minutes and you could be like, wait, hold on, that's a whole episode. Yeah. I want to see how that, how the, they got out of that situation. And now all I get is, like, you see them in this situation and then later you just see them somehow they, they just got out. Yeah. Like there was a, literally a prison break is the, in this one specific example, a person escaped from like a futuristic prison and you didn't see any of it. You (laughs) didn't try to piece it together. (laughs) No, I might know. So are are our guests. Well, so what's the downside of us mentioning what it is? I, I don't want to slam anybody. 
right? That's no, that's fair. no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I mean, but it's like basically it was. The, I mean, I think the show had a lot of really good things in it that it was trying to do. But you're you're right. I think that's kind of where it started to go wrong. It 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 did two things for me. If if we're talking about the same show, it was too much, too soon, too complicated, not simple enough, and not focused on like. Like the, the the small details are are often what really matter, and the other thing it did was, it it took something that was kind of a unique idea at the time, and it just made it so gentle and so like, I don't know, like uh, like, it's almost like there was no stakes in it for me. You know what yeah. I mean? And that like, and that's another big killer for a lot of movies. It's yeah. like these movies that don't have any stakes in them. Like like it's like so what? Like, I could turn off the television. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's, you know, but, like, movies that really, like, for example, Mission Impossible 3, part of the reason why that worked is because it's, like, really life or death, and you really felt it. And it's, yeah. as corny as that is as an action movie, they achieved that as pretty much as well as you can for an action movie. And yeah. it was life or death for them, for Ethan Hunt, for your protagonist. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it was, and sometimes these, sometimes this material works when it's life or death to save the nation from nuclear or what have you. Sometimes yeah. built in that works. Yeah. But if it's life or death for your protagonist that you are enjoying watching, you'll always be engaged. Totally. Yeah. It was yeah. personally yeah. life and death. And I think that's the difference, right? Is like, even if you look at the Bourne series, like there was a much bigger thing going on with this whole series but it became very much about him and his survival as an agent that was like rogue, you know? And, um, I think that's like, even if you take Star Wars, you take anything, there's a personal element to it. And a lot of these shows, like they, they, they skip the personal element and they get into this whole big thing about the world. And I mean, let's be honest, if we really cared, I mean, I'm just going to like lay this out for everybody on, on the other end of the podcast too. If you really cared about what was going on in the rest of the world right now, you would get up and you would do something, but you don't. You care about what happens to you, and you care about what to your family members and your best friends, and that's it. And let's just be honest. And if we stop bullshitting, we'll be better artists, because that's what we all care about. It has to be personal for us. And for those of us, like the Mother Teresas and the, and the Gandhis and, and people like that, they made it personal, and so they started standing up for everybody. But most of us don't do that. And movies, because most of us only care about our own little tiny bubble of a world, they need to be personal because we get attached to the character. And by the way, just a side note, and I'm going to mention this because I'm on a rant right now, is that... No. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) People love movie stars and name actors because they get attached to them and they feel like they know them personally. And it's all about personal. And I think where a lot of movies go off the rails is when they stop having a personal connection for the audience member to the story. And I think you brought it up. And, and Mission Impossible 3 is a great example of why that exists, you know? Yeah. Because it's not just about him saving the world. It's about him and his own personal struggle, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And another beautiful Same. thing about Mission Impossible 3 is it has one of my favorite Tom Cruise sprinting scenes <laughs> that I've ever witnessed in my is life. This, is this where he gets blown sideways by the... Um, Oh, the, oh yeah, it might, it might be that one, the but there's another one, because it was also the third one where he was in, like, Hong Kong or something, wasn't yes. he? Yeah, yeah, there's literally, like, a continuous track, oh, like, yeah. tracking shot where he's just, like, running. It's, like, 30 seconds long, like, of a continuous shot of him just, it's beautiful. like, sprinting. Know, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's great. You know one of my favorite running, <laughs> you know one of my favorite running scenes? I don't know if it was quite like that, but it was in Blood Diamond 
where um, they're running through and, and all the shit's getting blown up around them. That's a really good scene. I don't know if it's actually in sequence, like, kind of, like, nonstop like that, but... That's a good one too. Well, I know is I just love Tom Cruise sprinting <laughs> scenes. Like he's yeah, just he's running. Got a lot of them. He, War he of the Worlds. He, he has a great one in that one he does. too. Yeah, he does. He's, he's, a, he's a good action hero. You know, say what you will about him, but he really like he. You know why he's good? Here's another thing about action movies, about what makes action movies kind of work. His Terminator, four, three or four with Christian Bale. Four. Like right, yeah, uh, turn on, turn your didn't really work, and it was because they tried to go so gritty, but there was no like sense of humor to the action. And so it was kind of a uh, just too serious. You're right? taking a world that's already gritty as fuck. Yeah, and, and then you're making it more gritty, and yeah. you're not having anything to laugh at or like have any comic relief. And like one thing with Tom Cruise is like, even like in every action movie you look at, there's a certain hint of humor, there's a certain hint of sexuality, and there's a certain hint of danger, and there's a good balance of that. And so I think he's a good actor at achieving all those three. I I think Tom Cruise is a really smart guy, and like knowing like he's really smart at entertainment. Yeah, like he knows like, and to a degree like not not in the same way, but like I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've always had a respect for him for that as I well. I think he it's is like, too. Yeah, I think he's like, very. Aware he's a really smart entertainer. He knows what audiences really love to see. He knows kind of like some of the chemistry, if you will, of, like, what needs to go into it. Not that, like, he's gonna, like, give you a performance that's gonna, like, bring you to your knees in tears, but, you know, he'll make you laugh, and he'll make you kind of care about what's happening. Totally. I'll... I'll argue to add Dwayne Johnson to the group here. Yeah, he's, he's not. Yeah. He does. He hasn't had quite the same success that Schwarzenegger has, but he's carving a different route more through comedy. But yeah. he's he's an entertainer through and through. Yeah. You can watch it through his career. Tom Cruise, yeah, you're all right there. I mean, my favorite Tom Cruise appearance, one of my favorite movies here, is his work at the Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow is a fabulous movie. Tom Cruise. And you get to watch this beautiful evolution that you can even think of as Tom Cruise as a person because you watch him start as an asshole and wind up as an asshole who's been through and has had experience by the end. Yeah. So he has a much better view of the world. He has a much better view of the world there. It's a good like, sort of microcosm for how people treat Tom Cruise because everybody hates him except they don't. Yeah. I don't even hate well, him. Well, it's interesting. Like A lot of people will harp on Tom Cruise and they'll treat him like he's supposed to be some... Like, I mean, there's... there's the, I mean... And I, I don't know. I, I don't even want to... It's not even fair for me to make this comparison, but I feel like people compare him in the roles that he's done to people who are, like, winning Oscars and doing, like, stuff that's very dramatic. And it's like, well, he's not necessarily... The, the body of his work is not necessarily there. Now, I'm not saying that he's necessarily shown that he's capable of um, maybe doing the, the deep dramatic roles yet, although he might. Who knows? He's done some great stuff, like uh, Vanilla Sky... Vanilla Sky uh, was quite was good. Really yeah. quite Magnolia. good. I really like that movie. And, uh, and uh, Magnolia, yeah. yeah. And Magnolia, he was awesome in, right? But his work is Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. That's that's like my favorite role. <laughs> well, that's, if, if he was ever going to win an Oscar, that's what it should have been for, frankly. Oh, man. But that, like, that was really good because, you know, we really got to see him kind of, like, let loose, you know? And, and anyway, I, you know, there's an interesting thing about this. The point I want to make was that action movies kind of requires someone, and I had a teacher say this to me once, it requires a sense of danger, a sense of humor, and a sense of sexuality. And if you're missing any of those for an action movie mm. or for an action star, you're pretty much, you're, you're, you're one of the pillars that will fall over. And I thought that was really true. And um, there, was a, there was a reference I was going to make. Oh, uh, it was Harrison Ford, right? Mm. Harrison Ford, look at that. Indiana Jones, he has danger, 
sexuality and humor to a T. And if you look at like, uh, you know, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is my favorite of the series, and even the first one, but if you look at those two, all of them he's in, he's actually really quite good. And even in the Star Wars series, but he does that so well. And that's what's so attractive about, about yeah. him. He's, he's like the guy you want to be. Like yeah. he's, he's got great <laughs> charisma for sure. Yeah. And that charisma and it's like, you know, and it's, and also he plays a flawed guy too. He doesn't play a perfect guy. Like he, he, uh, you know, um, the, and, and that's the element too, I think, which really tips a character over the edge when they can have the humor, the sexuality and the danger, but also not be perfect for an action star. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're citing John McClane there, but more than that, you're also Oh, John McClane. Yeah. yeah, Die Hard. Another like almost perfect action hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you can go with Riggs and Murtaugh together, both Mm -hmm. perfect action heroes. But more than that, even, and oddly enough, you can cite Peter Venkman and the rest of the Ghostbusters. They're not exactly action heroes, but they have, you're talking about humor, danger, and sexuality. Peter Venkman, I mean, by this, by any modern standards, he would be in jail for sexual assault like yeah. in all reality in a modern age you yeah. go back and watch you're like yikes <laughs> but it's hilarious because he's so, like he's so he's such a perv he's so skeezy but he's a scientist and he's your hero he's here to save the world right and so it doesn't matter that well okay doesn't, as a white male in North America it doesn't matter to me I think it's funny I'm sure yeah. the other gender might have a completely different opinion on well, whether or not Peter Bateman's a hero from, yeah. from what was kind of socially acceptable in a movie to today yeah. as well yeah. I say this to people all side Bark, go watch MASH. I have it on DVD. I can loan it to you. You can get it without the laugh track. Yeah. It's, first of all, the show, you're like, this is a darkly, this is a <laughs> dark show where they, really? have, where half the time it's like, again, you're like, these, all of these soldiers would be charged with sexual assault. All of them in a modern age. Yeah. There's nurses literally saying, no, Hawkeye, no. <laughs> and he's just romancing that. You're like, this, wow. yeah. It's great. Anyways, <laughs> watch it. It's great. The show is 10 times better without a laugh track what we're saying coming back um, here yeah Yeah. so what what else can we get into as far as like stuff that just doesn't work or stuff to like avoid well we can talk about i mean we can talk about a few things we can talk about expository dialogue which is painful as hell yeah we can also talk about melodrama which is something that we can like help people avoid and how does that even occur um those are a couple that i definitely want to hit on uh corny corny like stuff that's like just it's like, you know when someone says something in a movie or does something and you're just like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's like, like, that is ridiculous, you know? Like, yeah, unless it's, like, self-aware that it's yes. doing it. Like when they stop to watch the base collapsing at the end and, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> and then someone has to pull them out and you're like, no one would stop! <laughs> no one stopped the Twin Towers to go, like, what has happened to all of this slam? <laughs> no, everyone was running! Because you run when things are crashing. Yeah. Well, melodrama, let's start with melodrama. So melodrama is like, I mean, in my understanding of it, where I see it is usually when something is way more dramatic than it needs to be. You know, it's like, it's like someone, like, there's things that happen in life and you kind of go, ah, this sucks. Okay, let's just move on. Right? That's kind of how a normal person would respond. But melodrama is like, Oh my God, he left me. And it's just like, it's like, like, it's just like, you know, it's like, so it's so much. You're like, okay, it's not that dramatic. Okay. And (laughs) what jumps into my mind with that immediately. And this, like the, for me, at least what I think the worst culprit of that is, is how, um, women are actually written for and treated not as much anymore. 
but I still see it where there's just like a woman will just suddenly just like lose her shit over the smallest little thing, like over a trivial little thing. Yeah. And suddenly it's just like, what's wrong with you? Don't you blah. And just, and you're just like, what? Like, yeah. who are these? Like, seriously, like, I, I, I don't understand who, whoever wrote this, whoever put this together, what they think of women being yeah. in the world. Like it's, it's a, a tired stereotype in, in my at least in my view of the world, I'm like, I don't know women who are really like that. You know, like my fiance does not lose her mind over like some stupid little comment, you know, like it's, but it happens so often where it's like a big fight. It's like, Mm. you know, when, when, when they're trying to force some sort of drama, some sort of conflict. And that's a lot of time how it happens where it's just like, some will just like, well, why don't, uh, why don't they just get kind of, uh, kind of angry because, uh, he said something a little thoughtless. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it sounds plausible. <laughs> She'll storm out and throw a drink <laughs> in his face. And, uh, <laughs> and then they'll have to make up later. It's like, that's like, is that, is that your John Favreau? Right <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually like John Favreau's director. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, no, there's no need to apologize. I, I like John Travis. <laughs> no, I think director. you're right. I mean, it's manufactured drama where there is no drama, it's, and it's um, it's also like an over a a, a, a unrealistic over uh, I, I want to say over like um, expressed sense of feeling, you know, for a circumstance that just you know it doesn't need it, and it's like it, when you're self-aware, it becomes humor, like. When, 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 like, for someone's like, you stole my special spoon, and they start crying, but it's self-aware, the, the, it becomes comedy, because it's like, it's just a spoon, dude, like, relax, it's not a big deal, but, like, that can become funny, but, like, if it's something little and menial, but it's, like, they're still trying to keep it dramatic, and actually get you to buy into the drama, you're like, give me a break, like, come (laughs) on, as you so elegantly put it, (laughs) there is something that I thought, there is an example I've thought about here, because I've been, like, trying to rack my brain, because I've, like, most of the time I probably don't watch things that contain a melodrama to that degree, and it's sort of like the antimatter of your example, but we'll try it out, um, everybody saw, everybody saw Theory of Everything, oh yeah, the Stephen Hawking movie, yeah, oh, I didn't see it, I haven't seen it yet, but, it's, I love it. I, I really liked it. Okay, yeah. well, well, we'll still be friends after this, then, I <laughs> <Okay>. hope. <laughs> Only because that movie was so saccharine and not true to reality that it was... They, they went to such a degree to portray this beautiful love story between his wife, between Hawking and his wife, and then the... The gentle disturbances of the heart that came through when it turns out that she started to fall in love with his other caregiver, and ultimately those two would wind up together, and, you know, there's love and children involved. It's still a good... I call it the antimate because it's a reverse melodrama. They took everything that was actually interesting about the reality of that and sucked it out to make this happy story where we're all happy about this crippled physicist and the wife who, the reality of it is, they went through a terrible, acrimonious divorce because she cheated on him with his caregiver. Mm. Now, again, at the same time, you sort of can't blame, we won't get into the details of all of it, you yeah, can't yeah. blame her because he's, but the whole point of it is there is more than enough material to mine there to make a very compelling and a very fascinating story about this man's life, and instead, and I maybe, maybe this is out of respect to Stephen Hawking himself, which is fine, although it makes me wonder, why did you make the movie when he was alive? 
if you're just going to do a puff piece for him. But mm. anyways... You feel it should have gone, like, darker, like, more into the... I feel it should have been more real. Mm. Because in the movie, like I say, again, we get a very Vaseline Land, starry-eyed story about love and the power of its ability to overcome everything, these obstacles. Mm. And that's great, except that's not what was the reality and it's not what would have compelled me for the last hour when you can see that they're related that their marriage is breaking down but it's painted to be such a peachy good thing still it's interesting how you bring that up because i think um like hollywood movies are much in the business of selling love because like mm. from a com- from a commercial side of things people want to believe in love like we want to believe in romantic love uh, north america especially and we want to believe in it so badly that we're willing to basically buy into just about anything movies tell us about the possibility of real love, even if it's not really the reality. And so it's, um, it's an interesting thing because I think in the, it's, it's kind of selling out a little bit for the commercialism of selling tickets because I feel like if they go the other way, you actually will have a more negative response in spite of it actually probably being more truthful or honest to potentially to what the experience is. Yeah. Although I don't know, I have no idea what you anyone know, is going through. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know enough about Stephen Hawking's story that I, if I saw it, I wouldn't, would not necessarily know, you know, the reality of what that situation was, but like to get into like sort of a broader sort of scope of this, this type of thing. Yeah. It's like when, when you de- when you're deviating so far from reality, I think that's what a lot of the melodrama is coming from. Um, is yeah, is when you're making a move against what what our sense of reality is, um, and love is one where that gets that I think that gets abused. We get caught up in the romanticized version of everything, as opposed to what I think is truly more more beautiful is the reality of what real love does look like. One of the the love stories in recent memory that I saw that I really liked was in Master of None, the really? Net, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. yeah, um, where they show the episode they're living together towards the end, yeah, yeah. when they have when that relationship starts to happen, and I was just like, wow, that's like, like now that's real, like that there was something that felt so real about that where it's like it wasn't easy, you know, all the time, but like that's that's when I think, you know, like it's a love story can really come into like, and and be inspirational and beautiful on, on a much grander level than just any romanticized concept of it. Right. Right. Where it's like, wow, like this is truly like a story of love overcoming things. Not, not just some surface idea of what love triumphs all looks like. Yeah. Yeah. There's, we'll spend the next 10 minutes plugging other shows here at this point, but, um, <laughs> but no, you gave me, you, you actually made me something that everyone should see. And I really think so. It's a BB or a channel for us from the UK. It's called catastrophe. And if I could remember who was in it right now, I would, it's a six episode, two, like two, two seasons, six episodes, each show. As all British shows yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a masterpiece though. Cause it's about in the pilot episode, guy meets girl at a bar. They go home together. She wakes up pregnant. He's from New York. She lives in London. They decide by the end of the pilot, this is the end of the pilot episode, by the end of the pilot episode, they're going to get married. Never met each other. It's not presented in this, they love each other so much, it's so sweet. It's in a much more like, well, we're kind of fucked. And all of their dialogue is them insulting each other, Mm. explaining what they don't like about each other, why this whole thing is going to fail, and it goes on for episodes like this. (laughs) And you can tell that there is a strong connection and affection there between them. 
but none of it's ever expressed in real emotion. It's all in how it's sarcastic and how much they dislike each other and how everything is going to go wrong. And the show is captivating because it feels more like every relationship I've been in than anything you see on TV. Not because I've been in relationships where all we did was insult each other, <laughs> but because there's... Tell us more. <laughs> relationships are so much more of a partnership than a weird romantic cloud that gets portrayed for people. Yeah. You'd, I have this is This goes for my advice for dating people as well. There's people... You'll remember people in your life growing up or whatever stage you're at, who you had to have. You were so into it, it was crazy, oh my, you couldn't... Did anyone ever actually go out with... Okay, you now, for my sake, I never actually went out with any of those people. Yeah. The people I went out with were people who I was like, oh, hey, you're cute, I'm doing something. I'll I got to fool talk. around with one one time. Oh, thank you, good. Well, see. That, but it ended horribly. It will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is what I mean. You get this burning, this lustful passion thing, like you need to be, and that's not how real how real relationships work, in my experience, has always been. It's the person you're like, oh, hey, I didn't notice you there. I'm busy drawing yeah. over here. And something well, comes from that. I'm, a, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, which I actually have dated someone where I was like, infatuated with like I was just like wow this person and um it's an interesting thing too because I don't know where that comes from I I think it's an interesting thing like why uh, this person am I so infatuated with I've tried to understand that for a lot of my life but the thing is is also there's I think when you take when you make love magical there's a nice thing about that but there's also a, a, a downside to it because relationships and friendships take work ultimately and it's i think it's good to maintain that magic in there but it's all going to come down to brass tacks eventually you're going to have to start figuring things out what compromises are you going to make who's going to do what it's not all going to be a fairy tale at some point you know and i think relationships and friendships come down to character and i don't think movies express that enough yet and I think a lot of, like, um, these love stories, it's not even really love. It's, like, addiction. It's, like, I need this person to, like, complete my life. You know what I yeah. mean? Where it's, like, real friendship is, like, you were there when I didn't have anybody and I, like, didn't, like, I thought I was alone. You know, when you were the most unlikely person but you had my back. And, like, friendship comes in, like, in my experience, sometimes in the most, like, unexpected places and same with relationships. And I think, um, you know, with a lot of these love stories, they're like, we want to believe in the magic of it. We want to believe that someone's going to come along and save us. And that we're going to have this kind of dream come true. But, you know, even if you get the dream, it's temporary because eventually reality has to yeah. come and settle back. And in, that sort know? of thing also, and like what we talk about on the show in terms of integrity, that, that sort of whole thing offends my sense of integrity of as an artist yeah. in terms of what am I saying to the world? And if I'm s- propagating a bunch of bullshit about what's not really how the world works, you know, like I'm all for like a certain element of escapism and fantasy in story. I think that there's a place for that, but there are certain things where I'm just like, no, this is a bunch of garbage. Like this is not, this is not helpful to society for me to perpetuate some concept of romantic love that is bunch of garbage. Yeah. I'll plug my own work here for a minute. Go ahead. Um, but in w- w- one of the scripts I wrote, one of the openings, the, the, the themes along it are, it's a, rom- it's a romantic comedy, non-linear, blah 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 life sci-fi, slash, what have you, but one of the themes that it runs on is the idea of 
Coupling, romance, love, marriage. These four ideas. Coupling really sounds awkward, and I wish I could change it, but I don't know what else to say. Dating doesn't really work. But the idea is that coupling is the simplest way we, we can understand it all. Two people get together, probably for physical enjoyment. Yeah. Whatever else comes from that, who knows? Some people get married based on this simple idea of coupling. You're simply, it's just somebody who's there, you're there and you like each other, it's that simple. You're there until you're not. Yeah. Romance is adherence to cultural norms. We don't even really have to go into how much that, because it's just replicating what you're told you're supposed to do. Yeah. Love is... Love, love is giving more of a shit about the other person than yourself. However you construe that with being your couples, being best friends, what have you, it's simple as you give a shit about them. You yeah. would give a shit about them to do something for them over yourself. If necessary. That's love. Marriage, because the whole the movie ends up being about marriage, but the whole idea is marriage is described as two monkeys standing back to back in the jungle at night. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with love, romance, coupling. It doesn't need any of that. What that one's ultimately about is the partnership. It's like you trust that monkey to watch that side of the jungle while you watch this side of the jungle, because if one of you drops it, the other's going to get eaten by something and it's going to be terrible, so you mm. just have each other's back literally for that duration. So can I stop you for a second? This is a script that you're developing or wrote? Oh, I wrote this one. Oh, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, go on. But so what are the name of the monkeys? <laughs> well, the monkeys, well, <laughs> Of course, an animated picture. You know. <laughs> it's not about the monkeys. The characters are Shepard Mosley and Siobhan O'Reedus, but they're married, so she's Siobhan Mosley then. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I really do think that, um, you know, like, I, I think there's always going to be popcorn entertainment. There's going to be stuff that kind of is the fluff, and it's going to go by the standard model of what's been done. And I think where artists come in is we don't, and that's a lot about this podcast, right? It's where artistry meets industry. But I think artists try to take truths in the world that we discover and and implement them into the culture of our, our media and stuff. And I think we become more accepting of it as we evolve as, uh, you know, as, as audiences. Like I think about the things that like were accepted, say in like the 1940s or 1960s or even the 1980s. But what is accepted now is like we've evolved. If you look through the history of film and even if you look through the history of theater or, or music or whatever, you know, I think, um, but at the same time, I think you can discover truths as an artist, but you have to also meet the audience at rapport, and you kind of have to find, like, what's that balance in which we can deliver this, right? Because if you start dropping too many truth bombs that are uncomfortable, people start to go, like, ugh, like, I, I can't handle it, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. where you go from being, like, a cult favorite indie film to, you know, being a, a major, you know... Disappointment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, yeah, there's uh, like, like to, to have a mass appeal, there has to be, I, you know, it's like audiences are kind of like, um, um, they're a little bit like, if you look at, at the statistics of it all, they're a little bit like children. Like they're not, everybody is at the same level of say awareness or willingness to like take a film and let it like alter their life. Some people, most people probably, are watching films from a place of, I just want some entertainment. I want to kind of escape from my reality. I want to enjoy myself. I want to go out with my friends. I want to take something in. I hope that it's different than anything I've seen, but, you know, like that's where most people are at. Then there's like your, say, film festival audiences who are like really more niche, but they're like, I want something that will change my life. I want something that is totally profound and different, but 
then you have everybody in between those two mediums, right? And that's kind of what we're trying to do as writers and filmmakers and actors and whatever. We're yeah. trying to share and deliver this type of stuff, but we're trying to we're trying to at the same time hit the commercialism, but also not be so niche that we're like we have like yeah. three film film festival fans who like will tell everyone about our work but no one will listen yeah. to them but I think there is something to be said some, like I think sometimes you've kind of got to get something out every now and then you just need to write that thing that you just go I yeah. don't give a shit if this has any sort of commercial appeal to it whatsoever and and you just got to you just got to do it and maybe nothing happened but I think the the problem happens is when is when you start getting like all pissy about nothing happening with it well, because it's like well yeah because yeah. like but that's what you wrote like you, like nobody yeah. th- this does not have mass appeal not like this is going to make people uncomfortable this is going to make people think in a way that a lot of people don't want to think you know and and your three hour two hander one rumor on abortion is just not <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mamet and Sorkin got together and they were like this will be the, they just jerk each other off for three hours oh my movie. god <laughs> I forgot to that's, ask about the rating that, on this podcast that is quite the uh, that's quite the double dutch rudder going on there. <laughs> yeah. um, Mamet and Sorkin you raise, no you raise a great point I mean like you know there's certain there's certain like social issues that about films that we just don't want to we don't want to confront we're not ready as a culture to confront them on on a mass level but there's smaller groups that are ready to and you know it's it's interesting because global warming i remember back in like the late 80s and early 90s i remember when people i just remember people like just being like that is just such bullshit like granola crunchers like who are these people? Like, being healthy. <laughs> you know, I just remember hearing shit like that. Granola Yeah. Like, they yeah, were a big a problem. It was a term that was thrown around about people that were like, like health zealots. You I've know? never <laughs> even yeah. heard that expression before, but it's hilarious. I, I know, <laughs> right? But now, like, well, and this is maybe more West Coast, I don't know, but I think it's, I've seen it in East Coast too. But it's like, people are like starting to be like, yeah, like, hey, we're, we're like destroying our world. And hey, like, if you keep eating shitty food, you're going to die of cancer. You know, like, like we're starting to wake up to that. But like 20 years ago, that was like, uh, you know, that was like kind of a, People, fringe. People yeah. were, were just a problem who, who talked about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So It was fringe and now it's a movement. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like a lot of these things that like as artists are always kind of finding that line. We're, we're pushing on that line, but we, we can't go too far over because it won't like no one will even like receive the message. But we don't want to be sellouts and be like, oh, let's just give them what they want. But it's yeah. a walk in that line. Yeah. Well, there's... There's two examples I think that, that I look to right now that help me and inspire me in my later work here is everyone, everybody's watched Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Everybody? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we've all seen Stranger Things. And then I also pull in Pacific Rim. And people are like, oh, but no, but just, yeah. But, here, but here's why. <laughs> Both of them are rich with material produced before. Stranger Things is there's, I love Stranger Things, the storytelling and it's great, everything is fantastic. But Stranger Things doesn't actually contain a whole lot we haven't seen before. We've seen alternate dimensions, we've seen psychic children, we've seen secret military stuff, we've seen the whole Amblin-verse that that they're replicating in the show. We've seen all this. Yeah. Pacific Rim is the same idea. If you're like me, you grew up with Japanese cartoons amongst everything else, you've seen robots fight monsters. It's been a thing, you know the tropes, the contrast for it, but the simple fact that someone 
the, the, the Duffer Brothers came together and they're like, we can pull all this stuff together and we can make a show and people will love it because it does all these things they love. Yeah. When they go to Pacific Rim together, they're like, it's robots fighting monsters. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't do something terrible, people will love it because they're waiting yeah. for it. And it fills this niche. People are like, why didn't that exist before? Mm. And uh, it's, this is what you're talking about when you're talking about you need to be original, you need to innovate, but you don't want to innovate too far. Yeah. You don't want to push anything to a point where people are like, well, I'm not sure I dig that because now, now they're not sure, now they don't care. It's, we talked about this on another podcast. We talked about how concept cars, um, like in the past, you'd, you'd have, you see this concept car and you'd be like, whoa, that's wild. But they would never make and sell that, partly because it might be too expensive, but partly just because consumers would not accept a car that futuristic. It would look mm. too weird. And like, if you stand out too much, like there's, I want to stand out and kind of like, you know, meet the Joneses or be better than the yeah. Joneses. But there's, I don't want to stand out and be weird. I don't want yeah. to stand out and have everybody point at me and look at me and say I'm odd. So I don't want like, to have to drive to the airport to fuel up my car with special fuel every week. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, with the, like the electric car taking place and stuff like that, you know, they had to have hybrids. They have to have kind of, let's, okay, let's meet everyone in the middle. You know what I mean? An artist, yeah. we, we, you know, I think we need to be aware of that. And it's not about compromising our our vision, but it's about meeting the world at rapport so that we can actually make movement and actually yeah. share what we're trying to say. Well, I mean, we've talked on a previous podcast, I don't remember which one, we'll maybe include a link to it on the site, but about, um, you know, how an element of familiarity within your storytelling and within your work can really actually be a, a really wonderful catalyst to bring something new into yes. the equation to at least open people up to something new. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, you know, if you just try and like shove something entirely brand new onto people, it's just like, Whoa, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. What the hell is this shit? It's like, alien. Yeah. Like it's too much. And it's just like, and, and, and people are too kind of skeptical and cynical and like, you know, freaked out by something that's too, that's a little too out there. But if you can, if you can throw in something that's, that it's like, oh yeah, this is like something that I've, I've sort of seen before. I know, I know I liked this, but then you can, you can still retain a certain sense of a voice and integrity and originality within that. Somehow you can, you can find these, these ways to, to communicate something, I don't know, a little bit down the road. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to think of examples of something that's come out that was just too much. It was too too advanced, too much for the audience. I just there has to be an example. I just Well, you know, you know there's, I, there's things right now that are doing a really good job of pushing the medium of what we know is okay. Like um there was a show that just came out on Netflix um called Easy and uh they're pushing the medium cuz basically television has been like movies have been you sell a movie based on plot or concept essentially, but you sell a television show based on characters, based on relationship in many ways, somewhat on concept. So, but what they did, the way they're bending and and kind of altering it a little bit is instead of having like five or six or three characters that are your main characters, they're having like 10 or even 20 possibly. And what's happening now is they're intertwining the stories, but you're leaving characters that you fell in love with for a long time, but they're coming back just a little bit. And so what's happening is 
it's showing that audiences, because the show is kind of working currently, we'll see how it goes ultimately, but it looks like it's working quite well, is that audiences are opening up to not being so attached to, like, because we've been very attached. Like, for example, if Tom Cruise was in an action movie in the 80s or 90s or whatever, I guess 90s, but if he was in an action movie in the 90s, you saw that movie because you loved Tom Cruise. It really, in a lot of ways, didn't matter. But now what's happening a little bit is media is actually pushing in a way, and it's partly to do with technology maybe, but that we might not necessarily be as attached to characters. We might actually be more interested in the universe. And and the whole, we, we had a big talk about this in one of our other con, uh, our other podcasts, which is the proof of concept, which is that what's selling more than anything right now with getting movies made is the concept, the, the world creation of a movie is actually kind of a bigger deal in a lot of ways than a lot of things. I mean, still, number one is, can you get a name actor attached? But the fact that a world can sell, like, that is pretty wild, you know? Because, like, back in the days when, like, Star Wars was created, that was, like, an anomaly, you know? It was, like, rare. But now that's, like, a normal thing. It's actually kind of, like, happening on the regular. The franchise realities of it have become so clear that if you can get the next big universe... That mm-hmm. will sell you material. And that that goes into a whole argument that could be right. a whole other podcast that I have a problem I actually have nowadays is that there's been a branding of genre. If you want space action, Star Wars. You're going to have a hard time breaking into the market with another space action people in Starfighters, big right. ships, because, well, that's what Star Wars is. what Star Wars does. You're like, well, this isn't Star Wars. Like, well, but it's Star Wars, right? If you want the more intelligent science fiction, you're We've got Star Trek. Makes it actual action now, too. Mm. Beyond that, you have the... What's the word I'm looking for? The James Cameron, Ridley Scott, steam-powered industrial universe that just about all the most movies can belong to, because they all fit, right? They all have sleeper ships. Those are the three. Beyond that, science fiction is sort of now reduced to... Well, actually, most science fiction you get, even lower-budget stuff, belongs in that James Cameron, Ridley Scott universe, because that's the shorthand we have for spaceships. Yeah. And so all of this, the entire idea of science fiction, at least in their modern day, has been reduced to a branding of like, well, you kind of got to pick between these two or this universe. Like, whatever gets made. So I have an idea, like, I have have a thought about this, is that science fiction, if you, like, read a lot of the science fiction, like, novels and stuff, which I I don't necessarily, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm well-versed in it, but science fiction traditionally takes ideas that are seemingly far out of reach and kind of brings us into a world where we go, well, what if that was possible? But I would argue that our generation is so influenced by things like Star Wars and Star Trek and Terminator and stuff like that, that we have a hard time thinking outside of that box. But like, I've read sci-fi novels that have nothing to do with any of that stuff. And, and I think it's hard for our generation to even like fathom a sci-fi outside of like that yeah. model because we've been so programmed with it it's been so such a media like like it's been a major part of our culture or you, defining culture you know right? what the crazy thing about all of that is to me though is that like sort of the original sci-fi movie that inspired all of it is still completely like worlds apart and arguably the most brilliant sci-fi movie ever made just 2001 okay space odyssey <laughs> yeah 2001 Space Odyssey, like, that, that's still, like, that movie just is still a mind-blower for me. Like, it's not the easiest film to watch, 
like by any stretch of the imagination, it is long and it is very meditative. Like it's, but ponderous. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is so insanely good Well, in terms of its vision and its scope. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you have anything left to say on sci-fi, but I was going to get into a couple other things about, cause we're, we're still on the topic of what movie not to make, right? Yeah. Somehow. And we haven't even gotten into expository dialogue. Oh, why we tried actually, why don't we get back there? Well, yeah, let's go back to expository dialogue. I think this was a good segue to go into though, because I think w- what we ventured into here was we were talking a little bit about meeting, meeting, um, industry and meeting, uh, consumerism where it's at. And then artistry is about, you know, how do I take that a little bit beyond? And I think um, when things are so consumerism, like they're so about industry, they're just trying to fit, they become like boring and like stupid. And also when things are so artistry that they don't even meet anybody at rapport, you're like, like, let me be frank. They're like, what the fuck is this? You know, you're like, what is this bizarre nonsense? You yeah, know what I mean? It was made for nobody except yeah. for the person who made it. Exactly. Okay, okay. So I think what we're, what we've come to, at least at this point in the conversation is okay. Like, I hope everybody agrees on the other end of the podcast, but we got to meet the audience at rapport, right? We, we don't just get to go off on our own and do everything. At the same time, we got to be, have enough integrity not to just sell out and do whatever we think everyone wants. Right. Well, we're, the audience has, the audience has to like what you've put out, and this isn't a Charles Foster Kane situation where you can tell them what they're going to like. Yeah, you can try, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, but it's not even about it's meeting the audience. If your heart's with the audience, you will succeed. The problem is when you're, the problem is when you're looking to take advantage of the audience. That's when I love you won't. that. That's yeah. so good. When your heart's with the audience, you will succeed, and when you're trying to take advantage of. Yeah, I think audiences are smart enough to start catching on to that. You know, that even if they don't know what you're doing, there's an inauthenticity to it, and it's a disconnect. But when your heart's with that, and you're empath, and when when I when you when you say that, I think of it like when I'm empathizing with that person that's going to be watching this. When I'm thinking about how will they experience this, what can I do to help them have the effect that they're looking for? Mm-hmm. Not that I'm trying to like make them happy, but like what can I do to even if they don't know they want it. You know, you know, and I'm thinking about what can I offer? What kind of value can I give with the story that I want to tell, but not just for myself, but for them. When I think about that and how we can join forces in this, then I think, of course, I mean, why wouldn't it work? Because we're all on board. But yeah, I think when you're trying to take advantage, like how many people will, will pay for this? I want to get the biggest box office numbers and, you know, I want to manipulate them into like, you know, loving this. It's like, no, there's, I think people sense that, right? There was that there again plug TV shows like this. This one's brand new, so this will work though. I big Shane Black fan, big Lethal Weapon fan here. It's not like it's my god or anything, but you know I've studied it, loved it as an action movie. It's right up there. It's perfect. So this year they launched. There's a new Lethal. There's a TV show. Damon Wayans is Riggs or is Murtaugh. Some guy I've never heard of is Riggs. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll give you a shot. And directed by Mick G actually from Charlie's Angels, which makes my top five movies. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, looking at that one out a little bit. Yeah, um, but the point I'm making with this is, so they did the TV show, and they, I watched the first five ten minutes, and 
without getting anything. There's this whole thing with a dead man switch that sets off a timer on a bomb. Now, the whole reason you have a dead man switch on a guy is that when he dies, he releases it and the bomb goes off. It doesn't set off a timer yeah. to give you another 30 seconds. That's just so you can have Riggs walk away from an explosion. They're like, that's why, McChee, I know why you did that. <laughs> so I almost turned it off right then and there. I'm like, that was so bad. That so misses everything. But I'm like, no, okay, all right. We'll sit back. It even says in the, in the credits, it says based on the screenplay from Shane Black. And I'm yeah. like, okay. They went right to the source. The episode was fantastic. It really was. They capture the characters, the humor, everything. They bring it up to date. They make it contemporary while still touching on that late 80s action style. Mm. You can tell whoever was behind here loved Lethal Weapon. Mm. They fought to get that opportunity. They're like, no, let me do this, please. Let me have Shane Black script. Let me go to this and give you the characters. And then that individual, that showrunner, had the access to the directors. They were like, this is what we need to do. This is how they need to be. This is where the actors need to be bringing you from. Yeah. They cared. And it shows. Because the show, you're like, no, it's not. It's t- It's network TV, so you're going to excuse some things yeah. as is. But you're like, no, whoever it is knows Lethal Weapon. And they went with it. And it feels just, it's, he's not, they're not even replicating yeah. Lethal Weapon. They're giving you the same. They're giving you that moment. Yeah. Right. And I, I always, you know, and, and there's no real evidence of this, like, you can't prove this, but there is something, like, there is a magical something about, about heart in, in a, in a story. Yeah. Like, that is palpable. Like, it's there. Like, you can, where, you can forgive so many of the technical limitations on things, and and some of like the faults and you say you know what yeah that wasn't perfect but there was something about it that just like it just felt so right it just it felt so truthful and it felt so honest and and it isn't like it really comes down to that heart and that love that can that can get injected into something and this runs me because i'll go back to something i mentioned and hijack everything here as we do sorry but one of my in my top five, one of my favorite movies is Charlie's Angels. I always tell the people, and they're like, "How? How is that a favorite movie?" And I'm like, "No, no." Yeah, from I begin- was doing that. Yeah, yeah. From beginning, to- <laughs> yeah. from beginning to end, it never pretends that it's anything important. It never pretends that it's like, "No, we've got some real drama." They're like, "No, no, no. We have comic cutaways. We're gonna do music videos. You're gonna end up caring about the three girls just because because they they're played with heart by the actors. They have arcs." Even if it's like it's really just about dating a boy for one of them, it's fine because it's still it still comes to it. And also, you ask yourself, you're like, I'm watching Charlie's Angels. I'm not here. No one in this is winning an Oscar. I'm not even here for that. I'm not I'm here just... to see like a modern interpretation of Hamlet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm here to watch things explode and for it to be fun. And the movie. Mick G knew when he was directing the movie delivers directly on them they're like no you want fun we'll give you fun we'll give you hang- them hanging off helicopters by the end we'll give you a motorbike chase maybe that's the second one who knows there's yeah. the second one terrible but there's an indie car race all of it and you get to the end and you're like no this was awesome it was Charlie's Angels I didn't want anyone I- I'm touched anyways because Bill Murray was in it and they have these weirdly honest, heartful moments. Because you can tell the whole point, at no point was Mick G ever like, it's fucking Charlie's Angels, who cares? I watched the DVD, I listened to his commentary, he cared the whole way through. He talked about, he's like, no, I had like all these visual structures for every scene. And you go back and you watch, you're like, no, for however much you might like the movie or not, because it's terrible in so many ways, but it touched me deeply, because I'm like, it touched me deeply, it sounds it got to me deeply it did because I'm like no I love this movie because someone loved making this the people in it loved being part of it Yeah. and I'm n- I never tire of watching that even though I know the yeah. whole thing all the way through it's the heart they... oh, that's, a, that's a really good point I mean because you know my first film that I ever made 
won first place in this film festival, and uh, it was a really, like, I mean, it was my first movie, so it was pretty terrible, really, I mean, because it was my first movie, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had so much heart in that movie, like, I, like I, I really believed in what I was doing, and I got everybody involved in it, and I never planned on submitting it to a film festival, it was just kind of like one of those things, like, once it was made, people were like, you need to submit this and do it, and whatever, and so... I had to present it in front of 300 people. That was part of the whole thing. And, um, you know, and I was just like a 16-year-old kid. And it ended up winning. And it was so wild. But it's true. I mean, I think people laughed and enjoyed this movie because myself and the people who were involved with it, we were so genuinely involved in this movie. We so genuinely wanted to tell this story. And it was kind of a spoof and it was really corny. It was unique. It wasn't like... Um, I wouldn't say it was a copy in any way, but it had like, it's spoofed on a lot of stuff in life, but it had a lot of truth to it. And, and what's interesting is I really think that's why the movie works so well, because later I made another movie and I remember, (laughs) this is embarrassing in some ways, but I was at a film festival. It was at a film festival. I remember it was being viewed. And I was sitting there, and two guys behind me were like, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. (laughs) But it was like this drama. It was like, you know, whatever. And it was like, it was like, it didn't have that heart. You know, it had kind of like a, I think this would be a good film. You know, I'm going to kind of put this together. But that first one, it it never had any expectation. It just simply had, I'm going to make a movie with my buddies. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Let's do this story. I wrote the script, put it together. And I really do think, like, I know what you're saying, Evan, it's not measurable. But, like, in a lot of ways, it is kind of measurable. Because those are the movies, like, those are the movies that stand out to us. And, I mean, it's funny you say Charlie Angels is one of your top five. But, you know what? I saw that movie, and I could, I could, I could see what you mean. <laughs> I, could see what, I can see where you're coming from. And yeah. in, that, in that respect, I can respect that movie. I'm not going to say it's like my top, one of my top movies. But I, it's all right. I almost prefer that no one else yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, um, but yeah, I, I really think that our, our love for something does come through in our work quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to talk about expository and mm. maybe get on to a couple other things, but I want to mention our beer. Please. Um, so, by the way, 33 Acres, which was our very first place that we started even having these conversations before we even recorded anything. We'd have a beer and we'd have a big talk for an hour or something. And uh, anyway, we decided we should have a podcast. So today we decided to go back to 33 Acres. And this is, this beer is called 33 Acres of Progress. Oh, I have not had this. <laughs> yeah, uh, we never had this. It's a Saison, which I don't normally go for. But, uh, yeah, they gave me a, they gave me a taster of it. I thought it was really tasty. It is quite good. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a rich Saison. Yeah. Yeah. It's rich. I'm kind of surprised actually hearing it's a Saison. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting you say it. Cause that's what I thought too. I was like, it didn't really seem like when I, usually when I have a Saison, I'm like, it kind of reminds me a lot of like having a wine or something like, yeah. like with a sparkle, you know, yeah. but this was like more like an ale or, uh, uh, Almost a fruit beer, a little bit. It yeah. borders close to it, and I may, I may be going off the rails. It goes, borders close to an innocent gun, just in terms mm, of how mm. much flake. There's, la- there's yeah, layers totally. in here. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going it's on. It's a mouthful, man. Yeah. It is. I, I, I mean, I've been really enjoying it. I'm, I'm really happy with this choice. Yeah, it's um, a good sipping beer. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, 33 Acres, uh, one of our favorites. A lot of nostalgia with them, because that's where we got our start. Yes, indeed. <laughs> 
But, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, I think this is, I think this one's like a 7% or something, too. Well, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not on it. Could be five. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's a good beer. It okay, is good. So, so let's, let's get on to this, um, so where else do, what, what movie not to make and, and what's, what goes wrong? So, uh, there's another thing, put your heart into it. Like, movies made without heart and without care, you're, you're already shooting yourself in the kneecap, I think, right off the start. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about expository dialogue. Yeah. Expository dialogue works perfectly when it's, again, when it follows its heart. But when you know how to make it part of the movie and not necessary for the audience. Right. Yeah. What I'm thinking here specifically, and all I do is cite other things, but one of my, again, favorites in the top ten is The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. They do a fantastic job with expository dialogue because he cuts it off halfway through. Because I stuck in this hole in this rat hole, so a guy, and then they like put 10,000. You guys don't care about that. Mm. He's talking to the camera. He's giving you expository dialogue, but not because the audience needs to understand credit default swaps or whatever it is he's doing in the yeah. 90s. He's talking to the audience. You're understanding his character through this exposition of him trying to explain the movie to him. And he's like, wait, I don't even care about this. I just <laughs> care about the money. So fuck all that. Yeah. And so when you can get your expository dialogue out through a character, as but, but not through a character as I'm speaking it, but as something that gets... You should learn more about the character from the expository dialogue than you should learn about the universe, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, that's a hard... Well, that's, that's a pretty, I know, hard, I, that's I, a pretty I, high bar. I, 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 I kind of like that's, that. that. I like the way you put that. Say it again. You should learn more about the character from expository dialogue than you should about the universe. I agree with that. I think that's the thing. I think that's where expository dialogue goes wrong, is you try to relate information, because you think you need to. And, um, you know, the be- some of the best expository dialogue that's been delivered, another movie I love is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm, yeah. where there's a, a narrator, but the narration is done in a way where you kind of are finding out more about the character than you are about what he's really talking about. But he's giving you little bits of information that you're like, okay, that was kind of helpful. But then you're like already on to like something else. And like the story has a kind of an ADD element, <laughs> yeah. element to it, yeah. which I really love. Cause it's like, cause I find that for me, I've seen so many movies now, like probably thousands of movies now where I'm so in tune with what's going to happen that if they can kind of, the ADD thing kind of works for me because I'm like, okay, they already know that I know what's going on and they're already onto something else. And it's like, they know that I'm already onto something else. And I'm like, I never lose a beat. That movie I've watched probably five or 10 times already somewhere around there because just because every time I watch it, I never felt like, I, I never felt like it was given too much. I felt like it was given just enough. But every time I watch it, I still get a little more out of it. Mm. Yeah. You know, actually, one movie where they, they have a narrator, yet the narrator doesn't nearly give you enough, and that's why I love it, is Fight Club. See, I was... Fight Club was an example I was going to... You, yeah. you go first. Oh, no, but I was but just the narrator is like... that. That's kind of like... That is a type of a tool for exposition that I would almost like, it, I, I, it has been done lazily, you yeah. know, where like a narrator's getting pretty lazy style, like exposition, um, to fill you in on information. But I would still, in a lot of ways, I would much rather have it delivered to me that way than to have some sort of a shoehorned force fed, like incorporated with the dialogue style where it's just like, I'm supposed to pretend like this is how people talk to each yeah, other. That's mm. worse. Like, I, agree. Yeah, I yeah. hate, that's the kind of shit that really drives me nuts. Like gets me like shaking angry in my seat when I see it. <laughs> like back in Vietnam, you know, when we were, 
when we were together. We were buddies, and, you know, weren't we? We were like yeah. telling a story. Like, and your no best one... friend got his legs blown off, and you tried to save him, but you couldn't. It's like it's like get out of here, because now you're just trying to tell. Like it's just. Yeah. It's the type of information that I'm being given. It's just like, you're telling me, now the expedition is telling me to care about this person. Yeah. Right? Without me even seeing them do anything. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, it's like, care about this person because of this, right? right. And do the, and you know, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. You know what's <laughs> a really interesting, uh, and I just want, we're on the expository right now. There's an interesting, one of my, one, one movie I really love. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's definitely my top 20. I don't know. Maybe, maybe my top 10. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> is, is First Blood. I actually really huh. love that movie. Okay. And there's a monologue at the end of the movie where he talks about being back in like Vietnam. He talks about his buddy open up a box and like it blows up and all this. And the thing is, is that what I really love about that is that you you don't really understand what's going on for this guy throughout the whole movie. Yeah. You don't understand why he's struggling until the very, very, very end. And finally, that monologue comes out at a point where they reveal something to you and you go, fuck, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get why this was so hard for you. And it's like, it's it's done at the point where I've already accepted this is the end. And it's not like, it's it's given me an insight into his life that I never understood until then, but then I needed it. Whereas if they would have told me that at the beginning of the movie, same monologue, same dialogue, just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It would just, it would have been like, oh yeah, his buddy got blown up, you know, from a fucking thing. Yeah. You know, but at the end it's like, when it just kind of comes pouring out of him at the end there where it's just like it all, it's fine. Like he he can't handle it anymore. And and yeah, it all comes out and you can actually really only understand like half of the words he's saying. (laughs) But it's enough. It's it's timing too. It's, it's, it's the timing in the story that it's let out. Like, cause if you let it out too early, it's a problem. But if you let it out really late in the story, but you do it in a way, which is kind of justified and makes sense. Like they did in that one, it works. So, but sometimes they're like the, you know, if it wasn't for those meddling kids, you know, <laughs> like, and they yeah. kind of go into this whole spiel of why they did everything. That doesn't exactly. work. Exactly. You Scooby-Doo that yeah, shit. You don't and it's just terrible. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's the, there's the, there's the question about expository dialogue in, in itself then. I mean, let's think if we, we used Fight Club already as an example here and as I can go right back, the scene where he's, the scene where Brad Pitt's giving the chemical burn to Edward Norton. Yeah. The, all the dialogue in there is expository. But he's literally ends in some weird freakish way that you should never do. He's literally explaining on the in the on in the movie you are watching what happens and as the character is explaining it to you as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Any screenwriting teacher will tell you, Don't what the hell are you doing? That's right. stupid. But it works for every step of the way. Because as the audience, you're being for as much as you as the audience would want to escape this moment, the dialogue and the exposition is making you live the moment with the character as much as you don't want to be there. Yeah. Expository, I think we get it in our heads, we're trained that expository dialogue is meant to be given to us, or we're meant to give it to the audience, because well, they need to understand something. They're not going to get it if it's not. But I'm like, I think expository dialogue really does get used in a different way, like I said, talking using it to talk about character. But moreover, it should be used in a way that, if you're going to be talking to the audience you should be affecting the audience with what you're saying, not yeah. just informing but them. But that was mm. still, still character for me because like that was, that, that's just Tyler Durden. Mm. Tyler Durden's a, a freaking weirdo like that, you know, like he's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm going to pour this chemical yep. compound on you and here's another, cause like, this is a chemical he's burn. just like, he's this weird kind of super intelligent, but like walk in the line 
<laughs> of crazy kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with Tyler Durden in Fight Club, there was so much earned. And even, mm. even like when, I don't know if you guys remember this in Fight Club, but, uh, you know, I rewatched this scene like so many times afterwards, which, um, where he's talking to the detective and the detective's like, basically like you blew up your house. And he's like, and he's like, and, and, uh, Edward Norton's like, I'd like to thank the Academy because he's yeah. lying. But at the same time, like all this stuff's happening, but at the same time, it's like in context, he's totally lying. But what's crazy about the movie and what's so wild is they took you on the ride so far that you didn't even realize at the time the character was lying. But yet at the same time, you were like, kind of like it was hinted enough where you were kind of like, maybe, maybe that's happening, but it's like, and I think that's so much about his narration, which is just, it's just earned. And a lot of the expository stuff that's said, and I think that expository is like, there's this, you know, for like writers, you know, we're, 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 we, we all understand the basic rule. At least most of us, we understand the basic rule. It's like, don't be expository try to let it come through in the scene and whatever. Yeah. Show but, it, don't tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but expository can come through, like, and I love the examples used in Wolf and Wall Street. It can come through in a way where you don't even realize you're getting expository. It's like you're getting your medicine, but it's so sweet, you don't even notice. Yeah, it becomes <laughs> part of the, it just becomes yeah. part of it, because, yeah, you never feel like you're being fed stuff in mm-hmm. something like Wolf of Wall Street, really. No. Yeah, no, not in Wolf of Wall What I was going to say is, the exact reverse of doing that, though, is a very big risk when you hang a lampshade right on it. And then, again, Wolf of Wall Street brings me to Margot Robbie, which brings me to the big short. Mm, you see that? Because yeah. they do the whole thing at one point where they're like, you don't understand... They're, they're, I, and I can't remember who it is who talks to the screen, but they're like, oh, you don't understand credit default swaps? It's okay. We'll, have, we'll give it to Mar- Margot Robbie in a bathtub, and she'll explain it to but you. But they call themselves out on it. Oh, yeah, but that's... That is why it works. Exactly, right? yeah, and that's they, the point I make, is that they're also, like, look, there's no way for us to work this into a movie, Yeah. so we'll just put a hot chick in a bathtub, and she'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. and, and you'll see... Because you like, do oh. need to have this information, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. there's no sexy way for us to get it to you, so we'll just make it sexy. Okay, yeah. so this is where expository um, information goes right. Where yeah. does it go wrong? Like, yeah. can you guys think of some examples where, like, expository is just like, oh well, my I mean, god. We've like, given a few examples there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, like, you know, it's a, usually when it's trying to be, you know, it's it's this weird thing where they, they try and force this information in a way that's unnatural between a dialogue between, like, a couple of people. Yeah. And it's just like nobody, when, when it, again, it, it removes us from our sense of, of reality, mm-hmm. from what, like what a real exchange with another human being kind of looks like and how that actually goes down. Can you think of a movie where that actually happened? Because I trying. always forget, like, that's, that's the thing, these movies. All right, fine. Do, I'll, I'll do yeah, it. I'll one, do it. And, one, where and it this was kind of like where we, <laughs> where some of this began. We're crossing a line right yeah, now. Yeah, we're crossing a line. Um, and it was, uh, uh, 2012. The movie, yeah. the movie 2012. Uh, you watch the early parts of, there's a scene where, uh, I believe John Cusack is talking with some sort of a general or something in a government building and it's a bunch of expository horridness <laughs> that occurs in, in well, this. the earth's crust is yeah. like this bunch of plates pushing together. I'm doing the thing where you put your knuckles together. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. well that, well, okay. In um, English, doc. Yeah. You know, that's another terrible. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you see in this, okay, now this is just a 
personal pet peeve that bothers me, and I think it's starting to bother other people. But I don't know. I mean, we don't have to be astrophysicists. You say wormhole, you sort of get it, right? No yeah. Place, no wormhole. We don't need to do the paper with the stupid pencil, punch through the paper, like, oh, it's... No, I've seen... That is an expository scene. Any movie that has either space travel or time travel, That's they do that. The, even the demonstration is expository. It's, it's too much. It is because they show it. It takes up a scene. I get that there still might be some people out there who are new or something. I don't know. Who <laughs> don't... Gra- like, if you don't grasp the basics behind what folded space travel will be. You see, when you say it like that, people are like, well, of course I don't grasp the basics of folded matter space travel. But the point being, we've all seen, if you've watched a movie, if anyone watched Event Horizon, you've seen this example. Yeah, you you know, it's it's interesting because, like, I think if we make or tell stories, write scripts, or make movies for the lowest common denominator all the time, we really undervalue our work. Yeah. And you know, there's lots of times where I'm talking with people, and I'm using words that maybe they haven't used or they, they aren't familiar with, and I've been on the the reverse. I've been the person listening to someone talk, and they don't get all the words that they're saying. But we're pretty intelligent. Like, human beings are pretty intelligent. We start to, we listen to the sentence and we start to go, oh, okay, that's, I kind of, I think I know what they mean. Because I kind of like put it together based on what they said. You know, and usually if people are really confused, you know, they'll usually say, okay, like, I don't get it, right? But movies are kind of like that too. It's like, people might not get all the terms you use, but you give them enough, uh, you know, auxiliary information, but they're kind of like, oh, okay, I pretty much get what's going on. Yeah. You know? And then, like, if you have to explain it to them, there's immediate moment of, like, okay, I don't get it. Like, it's whatever. Like, it's not a big deal. It's, like, not even an important factor. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to say, like, what are examples... Can we think... What are examples of any movies where we've had to receive a big dump of information that we were like, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, well, like, you know, I, I think it happens... Like, it's usually those movies that, that, you know, you kind of, like, don't really remember. Yeah. Or maybe even go to see. No, maybe <laughs> go to see, yeah. Because uh, everything that I remember, that I'm like, but she's like, oh yeah, I like that. And then I'm like, oh, they did this good, and they did this good with the information. It's mm-hmm. not, yeah, I'm not remembering, like, oh, that was terrible. Well, you know, um, have you ever just read scripts that have never been made? That's a good way to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah, my own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's usually if they got through the realm of actually getting made, usually they worked out a lot of that stuff, because, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people are pretty smart, on at least on the studio side, like, they're trying to at least stop it from happening. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't doesn't in a way what we're talking about here doesn't that even almost speak to a larger problem if we talk about 2012 or even volcano or Dante's Peak or all these things. Any movie that involves a natural disaster, you usually have to have the brief class where if in case anyone doesn't understand plate tectonics, we need to tell you about it because you needed to learn about that to come see this movie about a volcano. Mm-hmm. If you didn't you'd be in trouble. And Yeah. Because who knows, you might just think that that was God punishing yeah, the yeah. people of this village! Exactly. <laughs> I think San Andreas I think San Andreas does it. They have to like, oh, we have to have a brief explanation of the crust. And it's like, do we really need a brief? Yeah. People are smart enough. Who's going to the movie? Well, okay, yes. And also, how movie, educational like- is it actually going to be? Like, you know, you're getting a, like, a lot of times it's not even really that well-researched. It's like, let's so be honest about what we're doing. You want to make a, a movie about a huge fucking earthquake like <laughs> that's about yeah really that's sort of the beginning and the end right there yeah big earthquake okay people survive in the middle it's good yeah well in, and also like it asks the, it begs the question like do people even need to understand why the thing is even happening in the first place they even need to understand the science behind it what movie you know, yeah. like, 
Like, a lot of the time, I mean, there's so many movies, if you look at them, like, some of the best movies, disaster movies and stuff like that, like, you don't really understand why they're going on. Like, look at so many zombie movies. Like, we don't really know where it all began or what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, kind of it's like zombies. A, yeah, and everybody <laughs> just kind of goes, yeah, yeah, zombies. Yeah, okay, so there were zombies at some point. It's oh, like, these ones are fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the thing is, I, is like, the, like, like, basically there's an earthquake. The earth fucking shakes. I mean, for the most part, that's all people really need to know. You don't need to go into it all. I think there's, um, I think there's a, also writers sometimes get caught up into their research, into their science. And it's like, okay, you know what? It's great. You did all this research and you understand what's happening, but like not everybody really needs to know that. And they're not here for a lesson. They're here for entertainment. Very, you know? very few screenwriters are able to give you that kind of an education as you go. Mm-hmm. I would argue that I think it was, I think Sorkin on the social network was able to do that because you learned a lot about how the whole structure works as you went. Right. But that's, we're talking Sorkin here, right? right? Like that's not, that is not conventional in the social network. Context. Yeah. And Sorkin yeah. didn't like start out writing something yeah. like that, you know, like that's, well, and Wait, also, you look at Sorkin in, in the social network, and he gets you attached to the characters. He gets you attached to what we talked about in the well, beginning. Guess, simple, yeah. important, little, minor, small world stuff. And once that's done, then we're willing to look at the bigger world. Yeah. You know, and it's like that with all movies. You, you don't get to start with the big world issue. you got to start with the small, personal thing. And then once you earn that with us, then we're willing to look at the bigger world, you know? And I think that goes for just about everybody. Every movie we like works like that. Yeah, pretty much. Because I mean, you can look at Mad, look at Mad, Mad Max: Fear Fury Road. You start. I mean, he's not even the main character really, but you start out with him, and he gets chased. Yeah. It's him. The good guy runs from the bad guys, yeah. and then it's, and already you're in, and then the world builds itself from there. Yeah. Whether you've seen Mad Max or not, really doesn't matter to Fury Road because mm-hmm. whatever is necessary, you're going to get that as as it goes. I love that movie. Well, it was fantastic. So when we're, <laughs> it was. When it we're was. talking about what movie not to make, I think the the, the thing I don't know. Maybe we wrap this up. But I think yeah. the thing that I'm thinking is that you start simple. You start connected and make it personal to the characters. Get us invested in the character's small little bubble world. Get us enrolled in that whole idea before you start expanding us into this big thing. And when you expand us in this big thing, you don't need to necessarily explain everything. Let us just experience it and try to trust a little bit about our, you know, uh, you know, our, uh, our, our own uh, ability to, to deductively figure out what's going on. And, uh, I think in the other note, I would say is that, um, you know, don't, don't, you don't need to jump miles. I think sometimes like, that's the other thing too, is sometimes the small things, sometimes the things that are, you know, minor are, you know, they have a lot of territory to tread. You know, we're talking about the TV show. We never really mentioned what the show was, but yeah, like sometimes the little things are not only just as important, but they're actually more important than the bigger scale thing that we're trying to solve in this movie. Yeah. You know, like when I, when I think of Star Wars or something, really, what really matters is his own personal struggle and his family. It's not really so much about saving the universe. As much as we like to think, people just don't think that way. If people did, and, and this is beyond movies and story, if people really thought about saving the world all the time, it's a story about an egomaniac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're all, you know, you know, they say, uh, they say in business, they say 
everybody's on the same radio channel. It's called We FM. What's in it for me? W. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. W I I F M. What's in it for me? So you know, and everybody's on that channel. And so when you're thinking about uh, making a movie, the movie not to make is the movie that's, you know, when you're only thinking about what's in it for you. You know, you need to think about it. You need to think about everybody else, and everybody else is coming to your movie. And they're going, what's in it for me? And, and your job is to broadcast a radio station that they're going to want to stay on and keep listening to. And, that, and that's, I think, you know, the movie not to make is this radio station that people go, this person's just talking about themselves. Yeah. You know? And I'm not interested. It's not playing the songs I wanted to play and it's, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so we wrap it up usually at the end. Yeah. You can wrap it up next or Evan can. What do you, what do you think? What do you think? Um, well, all I was going to say is, I mean, the one th- in my own experience, the ideas, whenever I hear them, I'm like, no, man, don't make that, don't. People come to me all the time with the concept of the world. This is the world, man, it'll be so good. Everybody takes drugs for everything. You take drugs to be enhanced for this, drugs to be enhanced for that. It's just a whole, like, farm world. Okay, that's great. What's your character? Uh, this is, uh, somebody. <laughs> right. There's your problem. I've, I mean, I've created worlds, and I'm like, this is an awesome world. Okay, yeah. Crazy. But... You don't get to explore that world. The world isn't interesting. And if, you, if we really want to cut it back, the Star Wars episodes one through three were obsessed with the universe of Star Wars. They didn't care about the characters. You didn't start out caring about young Obi-Wan and what was happening to him. It was more important that there was a trade deal that needed to be sorted out with the Federation. Blah, blah, blah. No one cared. No one cared. It's the idea being the world doesn't matter if, the character does, if you don't care about the character because the character lives in the world. And you're not going to care. I love Vancouver but I love it because I live here. Mm-hmm. I used to live in Calgary. I don't give a flying crap about Calgary because I don't live there and it has no connection to me whatsoever. <laughs> so if you want to tell me a story about Calgary because that's important, I'm not going to watch it because I don't buy it. Why would it be important? Right. Uh, so you're, so, and you're, you're further drawing the point that it needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. So the movie not to make is the impersonal movie. I think that's what we keep getting to. The impersonal movie, the, the characters that you don't connect with. I mean, okay, the audience is not going to connect with every character. It's not going to happen. But there's always, and that's why I think some people go making milquetoast protagonists, because they're like, well, everyone has to really understand it. It's like, no, not everyone has to understand it. Just enough people have to get them. Mm. And it's not even about, these characters don't need to be, I don't want to say they don't need to be likable, because the way characters need to be likable, but there's a difference between someone being likable and a character being likable to an audience. Yeah. And a char- an audience will latch on to almost any character if they can see the qual if they can see the redeeming quality or the quality that they identify that they want to see continue. You know what I would actually um, I know you're you're about to say something too, Evan, no. but it's <laughs> not even just likable, it's lovable. These days we need mm. lovable characters. We need someone that you will fall in love with. I mean, think about it. Tyler Durden, you like fall in love with his character, right? You you know, when mm. you look at any of these movies that you really love, Wolf on Wall Street, you fall in love yeah. with them. It's not just that you like them. It's that you are interested in them. You are fascinated by them. You know, likable is just, it's this term. It's like, yeah, you got to be likable on the most base fucking survival level of your character. Even the Joker in The Dark Knight, 
He's not dislikable. He's fascinating. You know what I mean? You've got no. Okay, I agree with you. You've got to love them. Even if, and loving a character is not about. Oh, I agree with all of their positions. That's not because. <laughs> yeah. I just and we're not going to go into the whole Game of Thrones thing here. But I just finally yeah. caught up on Game of Thrones and that with a friend of mine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, can we spoil? Yeah, okay. No, don't spoil. No, please, yeah, no. please. It's please. too big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. just that's just me personally. Yeah. That's just me personally. <laughs> don't ruin that for me. Well, how about this? <laughs> how about this then? Do you get to the end of there? I don't like Cersei. Nobody really likes Cersei. She's a giant bitch, and she, you know, everything that she does, she's horrible. But by the end of the sixth season, you want her to win. You want Cersei to kick somebody's ass. You know, mm-hmm. you want her to. You want her to take out the high spirit, whatever it is. And when whatever it is that happens, you're satisfied. You're like, no, fuck that. Damn right. I don't even like you. I've sat through six seasons. I don't even like you. But you, you earned everything that just happened there. Yeah. That was you. So it's like there's a fascination with the characters. What you're saying. That's what makes yeah. it love. That's what makes them. You don't have to agree with them to make for them to be lovable. All you, I think, I think the character has to love themselves, yeah. and you will love them. But I think also like with um, and and I just a second on this point before you you step in heaven is just that you you need to have someone that you're cheering for. Like, I mean, part of the reason why Joker works in The Dark Knight is because we have Batman. Like, without Batman, the Joker becomes, like, alone, becomes kind of sadistic and crazy and whatever. Batman kind of gives you the counterpoint, which actually helps you to really embrace, like, the Heath Ledger Joker, right? Yeah. Um, And so, like... Sometimes I think the straight man, the, the main character, has to be a little boring in comparison to your antagonist. Compared to your antagonist. Like, they, they are interesting in and of themselves to some degree. Like, Batman is interesting in and of himself. But compared to the Joker, Batman kind of has to take the, you know, bottom ring. Because, like, when it came to Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger was what made that movie so fascinating. But, um, he stands on the shoulders of Batman. Without Batman, it's not nearly as compelling is, is my point yeah anyway you, you were gonna say Stephen? oh I mean I I mean covered already quite a bit here but yeah I think you know for me in, in terms of what we've talked about today it's like yeah like simplicity is still the, the biggest thing like tell tell a simple story first and foremost you know and and uh, you know those and, and yeah and that every part you know like surprise yourself find find what's great about every single moment it's not just about leading up to certain moments it's like every everything needs to be like if you want to write something great like it's it's it starts with attention with wherever you're at you know and eventually you'll get to wherever this place was that maybe initially inspired this but um i i that's not what everything hinges on, I think is, was a big part in this conversation for me. And yeah, like what, what you guys have been, been going off on here as well with like, it's about character and and the love and the love, not, not just with like loving the character, but you know, the love that's going into it as well, you know, and, and caring about what you're putting into it. Yeah, that was. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the point that I I really wanted to leave everybody with is is find the love in what you're doing. I mean, you know, like why even do any of this stuff? You know, if unless you have that love, you have that kind of like passion to tell that story. And if if you have to tell a story that you know you're hired for, which 
you know, I've been in that circumstance now as a, as a hired writer, which is, is, has its own little set of challenges is I think the key ultimately is you've got to find what you love about the story. You just really, that's the, it, it, it's not just going to help your story be better. It's going to save you as a writer. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Because then you have something that you're happy to continue writing for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, even if you're personal, like one thing that I've been learning too, as I've been going through this process is even if you're hired to write something, find your own, if I could give writers any direction, I would say find your own personal connection to the story. Even if it seems to go off the rails a little bit of what you're told to do, because I, I've been, I tried to write for someone else and it just didn't work. It just doesn't work. There's, there's a disconnect in the heart. And when I started honoring like, Oh, this is what, this is what, how I see, this is my connection. This is my personal hook into the story. Everything kind of starts to work. And so, um, that's one thing I've just been learning. It's like, you gotta keep your personal hook in the story. Amen. Yeah. Well, Steve, you have anything last to say to our... Thank you very much for bringing me. This has been a fabulous afternoon here. I'm very pleased to have been part of this. Yeah. Happy we come back for more. Well, glad to have you, man. Absolutely. Thanks Thanks for coming here, Steve. Glad to be here. So, Steve Moody, he's been our guest for today, and, uh... That's it. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.